The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. It is good to be in worship together this morning. I'm excited that we have both our services here together in one place this morning. We are also so thankful. We know that there are people who are traveling and sick who get online each week and worship with us, and they are worshiping with us, and we thank you for worshiping with us today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, just want to take care of a few things. First of all, if you were sitting around me and every time I stood or sat down, you heard a groaning sound, I have been working out trying to lose weight. And I say that because uh, it was leg day a couple days ago. And so if at some point in time I just collapse on stage, do not be concerned. This is what health looks like. <laughs> Let me lay there in my victory. Nonetheless, I hope that you are doing well and staying warm. I have said that to many of you. It is very, very cold out there. You didn't stumble in here accidentally. You got here by effort, and we appreciate it. If you've been with us in January, my name is Ryan Musser. I am a church member here, and I have the privilege and honor for the month of January to get to bring God's word to you, and it is my privilege and honor to get to do so. So thank you so much for allowing me to do that. We have been walking through our Well Bible Study, which is a set of five chapters of the Bible normally that we read together each week as we go through, and then on Sunday mornings we've been discussing them and looking at what they've said to each one of us. This is what this particular passage said to me. It may have said something different to you, and it is good that we come into God's house together and wrestle with it together. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, goes like this. Paul went on also to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his family, his father, was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew of his father who was a Greek. And they went from town to town, and they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches there were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia... They went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. As is my habit, we're going to put this into some context, because if we just jump into this, it confuses me. I'm sure it doesn't confuse you. Nonetheless, we have been talking the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about Paul and Barnabas' first mission trip, their first missionary journey. They were sent out from the church in Antioch of Syria to go and proclaim to the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, that they could receive Jesus just as they were. And they did that. They went around and they risked their lives. They came to a particular place, which is actually this place where our story takes place, in Lystra, where 
Paul, actually at the end of his preaching and work, was stoned. They got rocks and killed him. Every preacher dreads that story because that's how the sermon could end. Nonetheless, Paul, after that experience, gets up and goes back into Lystra and then goes over to Derby and has success. Last week, we talked about how on multiple occasions, after they had finished their first missionary journey, there were some people from the church in Jerusalem who came. We call them Judaizers. And they said, you Gentiles, you who weren't born as Jews, you're not really saved. In order to experience the full salvation of Jesus, you have to become Jews. And there was a big fight over this. The church got into a ruckus about this thing. And in Jerusalem, about AD 49, they established once and for all, no, that is not the case, even though it's going to hurt our witnessing to the Jews, because some people won't accept if we just let the Gentiles in. Jesus has let people in just as they are, so you get to come in. And though it hurt their job, hurt their ministry, they risked their lives to go down and deliver the letter personally. They sent Silas and Bersabbas all the way down to the church in Antioch of Syria, they brought them the letter just to encourage them and let them know that they were equal brothers and sisters in Christ. And that led us to the passage we read earlier where Paul and Barnabas were going to go on a second mission trip. Paul thought it would be a good idea and invites Barnabas to go with him, but they have a falling out. So... Paul makes the mission trip with a guy named Silas, one of the two who brought the letter down. And Barnabas makes the mission trip with John Mark, his cousin. John Mark and Barnabas go to the first places they went to on their first mission trip. And Paul and Silas go to the last places they went on their first mission trip. The point of the mission trip for Paul is not to go to new places, but to go encourage and lift up those Gentile believers and Jewish believers in those places where they planted churches. And that brings us to our passage today. All caught up. Paul and Silas go to Lystra and Derby. This again is where Paul got stoned and killed in Lystra and then went back into Derby and had success. They're just going to places where they've already been. Remember, not trying to find a new ground. This really isn't about evangelism as much as it is about pastoral care, this particular trip. And in Derby and Lystra, they meet a new disciple called Timothy. Now, Timothy's family, his mother, was a Jewish woman, and she became a believer when Paul and Barnabas were there last. From other passages, we come to believe that his grandmother did as well. And somewhere in that time period, whether then or because of the witness of his mother and grandmother, Timothy has become a believer as well. His dad is a Greek man, doesn't say he's still alive and doesn't say he's a believer. But the people in Lystra and Iconium speak well of Timothy. And Paul decides he wants to take him along. So as they're going along from town to town, they take Timothy with them. Now there's a brief section in here where it talks about the fact that Paul gets Timothy circumcised. Please understand, Timothy wasn't a Gentile. He was a Jew who had been denied circumcision by his Greek father. So in this particular case, he's just trying to restore something that was wrong. In case you got confused as to why Paul would do this when he had just fought so hard that people didn't need to become Jews. This is a Jewish man who just simply wanted to be a Jewish man who followed Jesus because 
As far as Paul's concerned, that is the fulfillment of Judaism. The old covenant and the new covenant are fulfilling one another right there. And so that's what he's doing. So he takes Timothy with him and takes Silas with him, and they go around from town to town sharing that letter they had with them. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that the church in Jerusalem sent the letter that was meant to encourage, and they sent Silas and Bersabbas. And guess what? Paul has taken Silas with him, and he's got the letter with him, and they're going from place to place saying, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you look at verse 5, you shouldn't be surprised to see what the effect of the letter is everywhere they go. The churches were strengthened in their faith. You could read that as encouraged and increased in their numbers daily. That was the point of the trip. They're doing their job. And then Paul, Silas, and Timothy have their next set of plans thrown right out the window. They went to Phrygia and Galatia. But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. The Spirit of Jesus then comes up and doesn't allow them to speak in Bithynia. Strategically, that's a vital area. It's a crossroads of the Roman Empire. Going there and sharing the gospel means it's going to go more and more places. In case you wondered why Jesus came at this particular time in life, I think it is fantastic that this particular time in history happens to be when basically the entire world was speaking one language, Greek. It was pretty useful to find a crossroads town and speak the language that everyone spoke and then send the gospel out. This was a good plan, but the Spirit of Jesus says no. Have you ever had God say no? Like a hard no. Not a, that's not the best idea, Ryan. You really shouldn't do that. An actual no. People don't like no's. We don't like them from God any more than anybody else. It's a tough thing and it's a real thing because it does happen. We look at this situation as we might look at our own situations and go, Why? Why would there be a no? This seems like a great idea. This is an opportunity. This falls in line with the mission. This is the point. Why would there be a no in this situation? We don't know the answer to that. We just got to know. Sometimes that's how it goes. And it's really too easy for very religious people who are feeling particularly smug at the moment to go, that's okay. If God said no, it'll work out later. There are a lot of things in this world that don't go the way God planned. You don't read me. You can read the first three chapters of Genesis and come back to me next week. Sin and death were not in the plan A. That's a result of the freedom of humans that was in the plan A. I don't think all the sickness and illness and brokenness and hungry children of the world are the way God has it planned out to go. I think that we have a tremendous amount of freedom and a tremendous amount of responsibility. And I think that things in this world are broken. And sometimes even the good things we want to do, God says no. And there are other consequences that come because life works that way. Sometimes we just get a no. Of course, sometimes when we get a no, we're just happy to have gotten an answer from God. Do I have anyone in the room who hates planning? Oh, yeah, there you are. Yeah, 
I understand you. I, I have had many jobs where I just, I, planning's part of the deal. As a youth minister for a long time, we planned trips all the time, planned Bible studies all the time, planned worship services. Just planning was a part of the deal. I had Excel spreadsheets for my budgets and all kinds of things. Planning was a part of it. I don't actually mind planning, but I will tell you this. Every now and then, it's just nice to not have to do it. It's nice sometimes to get an answer, yes or no, to not have to worry about it, to not have to wonder if you're doing the right thing. To have God say yes or no is not, maybe for some of us in this room, the worst thing in the world. Sometimes you would just rather have an answer. I think we've probably all experienced a moment like that where we've fretted over something and it's just better to know. In this particular case... Paul actually gets an answer. He gets an answer from God about not only what not to do, but what to do. That's nice. In the next part of the passage, he is told specifically to go to Macedonia. There's a vision of a man that God shows him from Macedonia pleading that Paul come over and help them. We refer to this maybe not so much creatively as Paul's Macedonian vision. So if you ever hear that, it's talking about this. It's just this, come help us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy immediately start going. Isn't that nice? For some of us in the room, we're like, well, yes. If God said, yes, go do this exact thing, I would feel like I could do that. It would be nice to get a vision from God that says, go do this thing. Don't do that. Do this. That would be nice. And how lucky Paul is that that's just how his life works. Isn't that great? Gosh, if I were in Paul's situation, I would be a better follower of Jesus because that's so easy. Sometimes we can feel that way. If we don't read the passage carefully, we can come to moments like this where someone gets a vision, a burning bush, a hand writing on the wall, and we can go, of course they followed. I would follow if I had that. Is that really how God worked with Paul most of the time, though? Is it even how God worked with Paul mostly in this story? When I read it, it looks to me like Paul made plans and they had to change all the time. Sometimes because God said yes or no, but sometimes just because the circumstances changed and Paul had to make a choice. It doesn't seem that simple to me. Think about the passage that was read for us earlier from Acts chapter 15. Nothing in the story where it ends up in Acts chapter 16 was in Paul's plan A. Nothing. We're at plan G at this point by my counting. Paul and Barnabas had their plans changed dramatically and God didn't give them a vision or an angel telling them to do every single thing they did. Plan A, Paul says, hey, now that the Gentiles here in Antioch of Syria have been encouraged, let's go to the other churches to check just the ones where we've gone before. Let's go back to where we've been before and let's encourage those people. More pastoring, less evangelism. Trip seems like a good idea. No one tells them to do it. Seems like a good idea. We should do this. Then they have a little dispute over John Mark. John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Colossians 4.10 tells us this. He began with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, I told you a few weeks ago that he left Paul and Barnabas 
before they finished their work. He just got up and went back to Jerusalem where he was from. And I mentioned the fact that Paul was deeply upset about this and you would be hearing about it later on because Paul wasn't done with how much that bothered him. That's right. In this particular case, we don't know why John Mark left, but some scholars have theorized that he had a problem, being from the church in Jerusalem, with the idea that Paul and Barnabas were offering salvation from Jesus to the Gentiles, no Judaism, no becoming a Jew. And that bothered him, and so he went back to Jerusalem. And those same scholars then go, and if he goes back to Jerusalem and the church members where he's from say, why did you come back? Are they done with their journey? No, I left. I didn't agree with some of the things they're doing. Well, what did you not agree with? Well, they're, they're letting these Gentiles in just as they are. That might have been the conversation that stirred up those Judaizers. Shortly after that, the church in Jerusalem, some people who have no authorization just go and start telling people, you really need to become Jews. You can see why Paul might be upset if that were the story. We don't know that it is. But for whatever reason, Paul's very upset. And Barnabas says, look, I'm not going without my cousin. He's coming along with us. He's now for this. We've had this church council in Jerusalem. We've done this thing. and, And he's for reaching out to the Gentiles. And Paul's like, I'm not taking anyone with us who bailed on us in the middle of the work. Not doing it. And the disagreement is so bad. I think the Greek word for this disagreement is the same word that you would have if you were having convulsions. Like, it's a fit. This is a major disagreement. And so plan A, Paul and Barnabas going, becomes plan B, where Barnabas goes with John Mark to the first places they went to, and Paul goes with Silas. And both of those things make a lot of sense. Barnabas going with John Mark to Cyprus makes sense because that's where he left them the first time. It would be restarting what he had done. That makes sense. He'll know people there. They'll be building on old relationships. They're going to do the same thing they intended to do, just in a little bit of a different way. Plan B. And Paul says, I'm going to take Silas. Now, Silas was someone he met from the church in Jerusalem who came down with this letter. And Paul's probably gotten to know him. Paul probably trusts him at this point. But Silas also has a lot of strengths to offer as someone to go with him. He was one of the people mentioned in the letter from Jerusalem. And so he can represent the church in Jerusalem in a way that neither Paul or Barnabas could. That's why they sent him to Antioch last week, remember? So here we have somebody who can bring that encouragement to make it not a text message, not just a letter. You can see in the face, the heart of the church of Jerusalem to be there for the people. That's fantastic. In addition to that, Silas is a Roman citizen. Paul is a Roman citizen. Barnabas is not a Roman citizen. When they get beaten later on, guess what's going to come up? You beat us and we're Roman citizens. All of a sudden, the small townsfolk are going to start listening pretty well when they've broken Roman law. Romans don't like it when you break their law. Not a very lenient penal system. So Silas has that going for him. Silas is also fluent in Greek and an amanuensis. He's a scribe who takes dictation. That's pretty useful if you plan on writing a lot of letters to churches to encourage them. Maybe you're the Apostle Paul and you'd like to do that and you have really bad penmanship. As he did. It'd be really nice to have somebody who is fantastic at taking dictation 
and writing it down and did that. Silas makes a lot of sense. But God didn't point it out for him and bring a vision. He makes a decision and this isn't plan A, it's plan B. Plan C, they run into this guy named Timothy and go, ah, Timothy's really good. We should take Timothy with us as well. We like Timothy. We're going to have to do some things here. We're going to get him circumcised, other stuff. We're going to finish this out so he, he feels comfortable. But we're going to take him with us because we think that Timothy should come too. So not just the two of us, now the three of us. We can do that. It's a good plan. Plan D, they decide to go further than just the original churches they went to. Now they're going other places. Maybe we should go into Asia. Asia sounds good. Let's go into Asia. God says don't go into Asia. Plan D. Okay, so plan D didn't work. We're on plan E now. We're not going to go into Asia. We're going to go from Bithia. Bithia is good. We'll go to Bithynia. That will be fantastic. See, the first time it was the Holy Spirit who said no. Then this time it's the Spirit of Jesus who says no. Okay, so that was plan E. Plan F will go to Troas. So they're in Troas, and God, the Father, sends a vision. No, actually, Macedonia is a great place to go. Fantastic. Plan G it is. Macedonia, let's go immediately. Paul is constantly dealing with a change of plans, whether directly by God's word and vision or by the circumstances changing. Paul seems to be listening Listening for God, but also listening for changes that are going on around him. Paying attention to the circumstances and the spirit. He's flexible for whatever leading needs to be done and for change, whatever's best to suit the mission. How do you handle a change of plans? When you have it all worked out and planned and it doesn't go that way. If you are somebody who is a generation older than me, I'm guessing that you have had a lot of change of plans in your life. A lot of the younger people probably have too, but you don't get this far following Jesus without having lots of changes of plans. You haven't been doing it for any length of time without having to readjust how you thought things were going to work in life on the front end. Paul has that same experience. When I was a youth minister, we used to talk about when we were planning mission trips, about the whole motto for mission trip was be flexible. You've heard this before. Yes. Be flexible. That is the motto. I don't care what mission trip you go on. That is your motto. Be flexible. Because you may have spent weeks preparing with all of your tools and your overalls and everything else to go scrape paint off a house. And when you get there, you find out, I am actually leading a children's VBS this afternoon. And there's a puppet show. And I'm supposed to know the songs. (laughs) And that's how that goes. I had a great student who he was, he was the kind of guy who, who just, he wanted, he wanted to serve, but he wanted to like build things and tear things down and do stuff, anything he could, mow the yard, all that stuff. And he's like, Ryan, that's, but that's what, that's how I want to go serve. And I'm like, I get you. But the point is to show them Jesus. And so we're going to do that any way we can. I understand. I would, I would, if you get me on stage and go, would you like to sing a song for us, Ryan? No, I really wouldn't. But if that's the only way I get to show and share Jesus, then you bet I'll do that. You won't like it, but I'll do it. 
We talk about being flexible. We need a little bit more of that in life. I was trying my best to think of a time in my life when I had to deal with lots of changes to my plans. And the problem was I had a lot of stories. Um, But one came to mind. In the year 2020, I graduated from law school at SMU. I don't know what you were doing in 2020. Oh, no, I do. You were sitting at home. That's where you were. That's where I was. We didn't do a graduation. Went to school for the first part of that year. My daughter was born in January. I got a couple days off, went back to class, made it all the way to spring break. They sent us home for spring break. I had something for law review to do over spring break, got it done, crammed it, finished it, and went, okay, back for the next week, and we didn't go back for the next week or the week after that or any week after that. Which was fine because we had done most everything we needed to do to graduate at that point. We were just going to finish it up. But there's this little thing. It's just a small thing that was in the way of me and becoming a lawyer called the Texas Bar Exam. Have you heard of this? It's a minuscule little test. It takes about two and a half days to finish. And you're supposed to study for two to three months beforehand to get this done. But that's okay. Because at least you know what the test is like and when it is. Oh, wait, no, welcome to the year 2020 where nothing is set. There was a point in time in May when I was studying for this and had been for quite some time where the pandemic was getting worse and worse. And the bar exam is, I think, July of every year. And so it was set. And we got to the last week or June or so, and I had been studying and cramming and working and doing all this, and we're in the apartment, and I have a, like, three, four-month-old going on, and, and so life is exciting, and we are, we are having a good time in this tiny apartment, and I'm studying at, like, 3.30 in the morning, so the baby's not awake at that time. It's just a great system going on, and I've studied all this way, and when we get to July, uh, or almost July, they cancel the exam. That thing that you have to do to become a lawyer, we're not going to do that this year, it looks like. We'll get back to you on that. When you finish law school and you go to study for the bar exam, law school didn't teach you how to pass the bar exam. I don't know, it's a thing. So there are courses you have to take and pay for with your lack of money, because you just spent money on law school, to prepare for the bar exam. And I think I get to be a person who heard for the first time in history them come on video on your screen and say, please stop studying. Don't do that anymore. It it would not help you in the least. We built this entire program based on the fact that we knew when the test was and what was on it and exactly how it worked. And we crammed this stuff in your head and it will only be able to stay there for a short amount of time. So if you keep studying where you are now, you'll forget the stuff you learned at the beginning. You need to pause. Just stop. Take the weekend off. Everyone had been studying eight hours a day, seven days a week for months at this point. They came back. And they said, look, good news, we're going to let some of you take the test. We're going to let half of you take the test at some point. But we're going to change the format of the test. It no longer has this many questions, it has that many questions. And they count for a different amount. So what you were studying for, because this was enough to get you to pass, that doesn't work anymore. You need a whole new strategy. By the way, I got a letter that said, you don't get to take the bar exam. There was a technical glitch on my application 
And while no other year would it ever, ever affected my ability to take the exam, normally they put a thousand people in a room about, oh, a foot apart, shoulder to shoulder, taking this exam for the many, many hours over two and a half days. They couldn't do that with a pandemic. So now only half of us can be there, and they don't even know how they're going to do that in a room. And so I remember sitting on the back patio of my apartment crying. I'm not a big crier. I had a job waiting for me in September that had a little asterisk that a lawyer had drawn on there that said, you must take and pass this particular bar exam, and I was no longer eligible for it. I remember my sister coming over and bringing me a root beer so I could cry and drink a root beer because now I have a baby and a wife and a lot of law school debt and I can't take the test that I need to keep the job. By the way, they gave me a $10,000 stipend and I need to pay that back now too. So I wrote a letter, a strongly worded letter that said, excuse me, but this technical glitch would never have prevented me. It was just on the side of like some back-end thing on your technology and otherwise I registered on time. There was just a mistake and it changed the date. Surprising to me, the state of Texas agreed and I got to take an exam all of a sudden again, but they changed the exam again and then they changed the format again and then about two weeks before they they said, well, we've decided now that what we're going to do is everyone is going to go to different places around the state if you can get in and you're going to go sit in a hotel room and everyone's going to be in their own hotel room with the doors open and there'll be a proctor walking up and down the hall and that's how you'll take your exam and there'll be a little yellow cup and when you need to go potty, You set the cup in the hallway, and we'll come get your test. This was the exam. Also, we cut off half a day, so don't study for that anymore. And no, we slid it into other places, and it's worth a different amount. And all this while the people who I have paid to train me how to take the bar exam are just randomly changing everything because they're trying to adapt as well. The day of the bar exam... The day of the bar exam, I am sitting in a hotel room in Austin, Texas, because I couldn't get into the Dallas one, which is fine. And so I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm in this hotel room, and they've said, we're going to blow a whistle when it is time for you to start. And you will run into the hall like a madman with all of the other people who want to be lawyers and grab the exam and go back in and finish. So we start hearing whistles. And people start running out. They go, no, no, no. That's from the other floors and hallways. We didn't think about that. We rented out the whole hotel. You can hear all the way. Hotels aren't made for you to blow whistles in. It's not a basketball court. For the afternoon of day one, without telling any of us, we're waiting to start after our lunch. We're ready to go. And instead of a whistle, some guy in the hallway just yells, go. The woman across the hall from me panics, knocks everything off and starts sprinting out of the hallway like she's on some kind of Hunger Games thing going on here. I'm terrified because do you go or not? Am I going to get disqualified? Who knows? But I'm going to get my test. That was the most entertaining examination I have ever had in my entire life. But at no point in time did we start off with plan A. Or B, I don't know what letter we ended with, but it was a double letter and there may have been like an asterisk at the end. 
First Baptist Church of Richardson, you probably didn't plan to be looking for a pastor this year. And you didn't plan for a lot of things. But you know what? For my bar exam, all I need to do is pass the silly thing. It didn't matter what plan I needed to use. You can change plan after plan after plan. The mission is to pass the thing. Your mission doesn't change. You are called to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You are called to be salt and light just where you are. You are called to be the restored image of God alive and well on the planet in a way that it wasn't there for thousands of years. That's your call. That's the mission. That's what it is, and it doesn't change. It doesn't really matter what changes with the plans. It doesn't matter how you have to roll. Do you think that your staff is working off of plan A? You have, we have an amazing staff. They're working on plan like double G at this point. Changing every week to adapt to what the church needs because the mission remains the same. The plan just has to be flexible. I don't know what your plans are in your life, but may we be the kind of people who are willing to listen for when things need to change, both as a church and individually. You're somebody who wants to grow more with God and your plan's not getting you there. Instead of being stubborn about it, be flexible to change. You want your family to look different this year than it did last year. You want to change that, but you're trying to do it the same way, and that's not working for you. You've actually heard God say, change this thing, and you don't want to. We can become stubborn, but instead of doing that, be flexible. In this place today, may we be people like Paul, willing to change our plans because we are so dead set on our mission that we refuse to compromise it. In this place May we be God's image of love and grace and mercy for one another. May we do a very good job of that. Even if we change the plan we have to show it a million times over. May we be people who are willing to change plans. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you are not ever confused by the many changes we face. We thank you that you have called us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, that you trust us to look at our circumstances and to change plans when they need to. God, sometimes you tell us and sometimes you trust us just to understand what's going on, to use our judgment. We pray, God, that you would empower and equip every single member of this church to look at their lives and look at their church and to believe that the mission of the things you've called them to is so important They will be flexible as they move forward into new seasons of your kingdom and growth. We pray in this place today that you would be with us and for us and that we would be very effective at loving you and loving others. In the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.